Margaret, we're tracking this party, this upcoming 60th birthday party that is scheduled for former President Barack Obama on Martha's Vineyard. Um, tell us what you have learned about this as you see the Delta variant starting to, to rage. Yeah, Brianna, this uh, party is the talk of the town on Martha's Vineyard. And it should be said, even if there wasn't a pandemic and even if there wasn't a Delta variant, um, the Obama's parties on Martha's Vineyard for the years he was president were also always the talk of this town. Democrats are set to take control of the U.S. Senate, House and the White House. This will go down as one of the most progressive administrations in American history. God willing, everything is on the table. You now can pass things without a filibuster threat. Right. Oh, you'll regret this, and you may regret it a lot sooner than you think. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. Well, we'll preserve oh. for our children this, the last... Welcome to the Ruthless Earth. Variety Program. Oh, my gosh. We've got such an action-packed episode for you in a big week and a countdown to Iowa. Let's start with this party that the uh, Obamas are throwing. I mean, that's pretty amazing. Uh, I would honestly... If I had a party scheduled, I'd keep it going if Pearl Jam is playing. Like, you know, if the plague is coming through, it's like, folks, folks, you're still showing up. Pearl Jam is still playing. <laughs> Until they cancel, you're coming. Delta yeah. of comfort variant plus or not. <laughs> I mean, it's just great. I love it. You know, they get they get their own set of rules. You know, our, our Democrat overlords. I don't know if you guys saw Muriel Bowser, the mayor of D.C., uh, you know, she snuck in under the wire on her, her new mask mandate to go to see Dave Chappelle and then go to a wedding and, uh, apparently violated the rules. Uh, so cool. Good for her. But it's like all very confusing at this point because you've got on one hand, libs are the only ones that are like talking about new rules, right? Like at least the conservatives that I know. It, it, conservatives are basically pointing out every one of these like dem clowns breaking their own rule like <laughs> cuomo saying okay masks are now mandated at all times while not wearing a mask at the press conference you know and right. then you have uh lori lightfoot who a lot of them try to schedule the delta variant where she was like okay we're gonna have delta variant only after Lollapalooza is done <laughs> so once we have like one hundred twenty thousand people in a field or whatever after that yeah then we can go back to masks that's how it's going to be. And for Bowser, it was after the wedding. It, it's it's and you know and you know Obama's like, yeah, right. I'm not going to let the CDC tell me not to throw this rager. You think I you think I cut a Netflix deal to get this house in Martha's Vineyard for nothing? You know how pissed off <laughs> he is. Pandemic's going to stop me. I mean, he's got now the the lib machine that he built. All of the media <laughs> echo chamber, they're hanging on him like, oh man, you can't have this party. He's like, the hell, I can't. <laughs> Oh, man. All right. So let's uh, we're going to get deeper into the Delta Comfort Plus and everything else here in a minute. But we have some important housekeeping to take care of off the top. The first thing, folks, we are getting close to Iowa. We just had a big planning meeting. I feel like it's right around the corner. It was very professional, you know, go doing the line by line, minute by minute of the whole uh, trip. And I'm getting excited just reading all about it. You know, I mean, we're going to have a lot of great interviews Great location uh, at the fair uh, on the 18th of August. Uh, very, very excited. I mean, it's big. It's big, Smug. I, I mean, the lineup is amazing that we have of guests, but also the fair itself. Like our location where we're going to be recording at, we're going to have all the guests at. They're going to have, you know, we're, we're, millions of folks are going to be able to come in and see this live. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> 
it's going to be amazing. I don't know quite to, what to expect from us. Like, I'm pretty sure we're going to be able to perform. It may We may overdo it. I'm just going to yeah. say it. We might overdo it. Well, I mean, according to the schedule here, we've got like five, six hours straight of just content. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know? <laughs> yeah. That's a, a real marathon of a pod. At a, at a bar. At a bar. Yeah. Which we will While be, affairs in progress. Right, right, right. And we will be plugging into the sound system at said bar. Yeah, so they're going to be able to hear it. Yeah. Uh, listen, if you can get there, you ought to come because this thing is going to be it's going to be something else. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> All right. So um, as part of that, you know, in our continued tradition of reading some of the five star reviews, uh, here's a couple of them. One guy I, I picked out because I thought it was really funny. He entitled it uh, My Will to Live. And he said, unfortunately, I won't be able to make my goal of drinking with smug and friends a reality in Iowa. Anyway, he goes on to lament uh, the fact that he can't make it, and he loves the program. He's lost his will to live. I don't don't take it that far. Don't take it. We'll, we'll do more than one, but I will say you're you're lamenting the right thing because if you can't make it, it's a big problem. Uh, we got more of these things though. Do you want to read? You want to read uh, this this next one here, Dunks? Sure. Uh, this one is uh, thanks, guys. Uh, is the title. I also like to take my politics with a lot of humor. Y'all do such a great job with every episode. It's a perfect blend of vegetables and candy every week, That's which nice. I, pre- I appreciate that people are starting to pick up on that. You know, we try to mix in a little of both because, I mean, look, I, you know, I think we all recognize you guys are busy. You want to be entertained. You want to know what you need to know. And that means doing a little candy and a little bit of broccoli. There's a little broccoli in there every once in a while. Yeah. But but not too much where you can't get the candy flavor out of your mouth. This other one I really, really like. Hockey Mike in Seattle. Uh, the title is Merch. And it says, can't find the you say cicada, I say cicada coffee mugs. <laughs> it's a cicada, folks. <laughs> Smug doubling down on cicada. He's got a very, a very good pronunciation. I love that. Uh but all right, let's get let's get back to the serious business here for a minute because everybody's getting sort of these apocalyptic threats that we're seeing across the media, which I want to get into that. But there was actually one apocalyptic piece of news that was came out of the UK's quote unquote expert panel, where they said COVID uh, could have a super mutant variant that could kill up to one in three people. <laughs> And this isn't like I actually, you know, clicked and read because this is this is pretty wild. This is from the Scientific Advisory Group for Emergencies in the UK. This isn't like, you know, some Looney Tunes either. But they called it straight up a super mutant variant that could kill up to one in three people. Yeah. And they said that the vaccine rollout might even just speed it up. Yeah, that's my favorite part. Right. It's like, oh, science. Just listen to the science. Now you got the scientists telling actually vaccines might speed this sucker up. The apocalypse is here. <laughs> I mean, It'd be perfect for like, you see the doomsday movies, you know, there's like the post-apocalyptic ones. And it's like, if only the people knew that the vaccine only spread the super mutant <laughs> ultra version of the virus. That is always the setup, right? You totally. Know, like in, uh, was it World War Z? You know, they the, like, the Brad Pitt one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where they have this cure and it actually just makes zombies. <laughs> Is that what caused it? I don't remember. I just remember so. like a tidal wave of zombies. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we're probably headed that way anyways. 
Well, if we are, I mean, it, it opens up a good question on one that you were pontificating upon, Smug. Is that like if it all goes down in the apocalypse, like what do you do? Yeah, uh, I, I I put this like very unscientific poll out there where I was like, number one, how long do you think you'd last? You know, if it really did hit the fan, one in three people are just keeling over and dying. We're looking at an apocalypse type of scenario. You know, do you think you're surviving a few days? Think you got a month? Are you gonna be like a long haul? What do you think you got? I mean, I'm taking that sucker to the end. I I feel like look. Uh, despite my relatively comfortable surroundings, uh, I grew up with a little grit, and you could drop me in the middle of nowhere for a while. I think it all depends on what else is happening, right? I mean, because if you if you've got like a nuclear war that breaks out as a result of this, there's not much you can do. Well, so so that's the thing. Okay, is like your ability to survive doesn't determine whether you survive. Your preparation <laughs> to survive determines whether you survive. I mean, like, you know, like, yeah, a, n- a nuclear blast. Let's say you have some sort of EMP situation and suddenly your newfangled car with all the electronics won't turn on. You know, that's why you know, I thought that's I why thought he drives the, uh, a Model T, folks. Well, no, I'm the, just the, saying I'm just saying, like, look, you end up in this situation, in a post-apocalyptic world. You need to realize that fiat currency isn't going to save you. You got to stack up on gasoline, cigarettes, canned goods, things you can trade. Right. <laughs> and I, I, I wouldn't count out a nuke either. It's like, I think after seeing what happened, where like the Chinese government just like let this thing, you know, they tried covering it up and then it, it just infected the world. And they're like, oh, well, guys, you know, whatever. But if a country starts hitting a variant where like one in three people are dying, I think I think other countries are like, OK, folks, we really got to just like nuke them. Right. <laughs> so I guarantee like nukes are not off the table. If it's a one in three kind of situation spreading. Well, okay, so I have a question for Holmes here. Holmes, you, you know, you worked for Senate uh, Republican leader Mitch McConnell for a long time. Yeah. Long time. If you ended up in some sort of, I don't know, like continuity of government protocol scenario and the <laughs> and the black suburbans uh, are pulling out of town, you, you think you're getting a ride? Absolutely not. I'm running after that thing like Tiger's wife with the golf club in my <laughs> I mean, they're not going to stop for me. I hate to, I hate to admit it, but there's no chance I get. See, in all I honesty, I don't think I, I'd survive long. It'd be just like it'd be hell, right? Like nukes are definitely going off. There's radiation. I would be less focused on survival and more focused on pettiness. Oh. Like, what are what are what are the last you know last grudges I got left? Let's let's make sure all those people are fucked. Oh, you're let's just checking boxes. Oh, you're going end? down petty. Yeah, yeah. I, that's it. I'm taking them all to hell with me. He's got like the Billy Madison list. Yeah, right. His way. Like right he's Steve the guy. Buscemi. Yeah, putting the lipstick on, crossing names off it's the like, list. These people. Yep, yep. You're not making it through the apocalypse. That's amazing. That's what he thinks about. <laughs> well, I know exactly where I'm going. I'm not telling any of you. And you know, no. Here's where, the thing, dude. Here's the thing, Smug. He's totally serious. Right I'm now. absolutely serious. Yeah. No. He. <laughs> when, no. He says this is not a bit. He's, I have the gasoline and the ammunition to get me there. <laughs> It's not a bit at all. Duncan is completely committed. I would to go this. with you. I'm, dude. Look, look, I'm. Not, you're not invited. Straight <laughs> I will up, 100% pal. 100% roll with. Look, I, I get it. You're not invited. Uh, you know, I'm not like a doomsday prepper, but it sounds like it. That's like bit. the first thing a doomsday prepper says, man. <laughs> I just say, uh, you know, we live in 
in the DC area, it's it's okay to be prepared. Hold on, hold on. I just want to clarify. You have barrels of gasoline. I don't have barrels of gasoline. But you have enough gasoline to get you where you're going. And you know where you're going, more importantly. Yes. <laughs> See, I always figured motorcycle was the way in the apocalypse because they're better with the fuel. Of, you know, you can't be having like an Escalade. If you're solo. Escalade. If you're solo, if you have a family, that's obviously not going to work. And then you also I mean, have to think. That's the first thing you got to cut off, dude, if you're really looking at survival. <laughs> well, that's just not an option. This is hysterical. I didn't think we'd get into an actual conversation about what we were actually going to do in an apocalypse. But, like, Duncan has fast-forwarded this to a very real place. Yeah. Well, you you need the gasoline as a means of conveyance. No, he's, he's, still, he's still not done. And then you get to where you need to go, and then, you, and then, and then the number one goal is sustainability. Do you have canned goods? I have canned goods. I have batteries. I have a and generator. That's the thing is, I think you, it, unless you're a prepper, you will be dead super quick. Like society, like, you know, society is going to fall apart unless you're like a mechanic, a doctor, a soldier, or a farmer. The like roving bands of people will kill you. You'll have no use outside of being like what do you mean? soldier, you mechanic, doctor. People are going to stop and ask if you can fix their car. You don't well, stop. for it. First like, of all, you like, don't hey, stop for anyone in, a, in this situation. Yeah, I would one, like to make that very stop. clear. You do not Let's say stop. You like a, if someone approaches, you know, your like fortified area and, and you're like, okay, what do you need, buddy? He's like, hey, listen, I'm a mechanic. I can fix things. Okay. Then you might consider letting him in. If yep. he's like, hey, friends, I'm a lawyer, you know, open fire. Go right. His yeah. pockets. Right. 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 Yeah. Political consultants, lawyers. Not surviving. We're not, we're, <laughs> we're not going to get welcomed into some you need to community. Prepare. I'm prepared to live. Solo. You need to prepare. Not solo, but with my family. And then trade cigarettes along the way. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I think that just about does it for the apocalypse. Yeah, I was like, that does it for the episode. Oh, We're right. <laughs> I'm going to welcome Bernie Moreno. Okay. <laughs> 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 we we do have a great guest uh, that I do want to explain about, but I'm going to wait. I'm going to give it a little time and go through a couple other topics, hoping we can get off of the uh, the base. Oh no, floor. I'm done. I'm done. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, let's talk about pig rules. Uh, did you guys see this in California? They have a new state uh, law there. Only four percent of hog operations now comply with their new rules. So unless courts intervene, all of these these laws will take effect, and they actually cannot get pork into the state of California. You see this? Honestly, I support it. <laughs> like, we need to make California as miserable as possible. Like, they're doing no a good bacon, job on their own. Just endless crime. All their own policies just make them suffer, and like. They, they can be like an example to the rest of the world. It's like, okay, you have total damn rule. What does that look like? You know, like crime on the streets, insanely high taxes, and you don't even have bacon. You can't even get a decent pork belly. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it's, uh, I, but I did, it just to me, totally opened my eyes to the fact that those guys have just lost their ever living minds. If we're now yeah. talking about the fact that you can't get a pork chop. Yeah. Oh, I mean, that's the priorities. That's the priorities. Like you, 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 every day you see footage out of LA or San Francisco of where you have like streets are covered in heroin and, and, and crime. And, and 
they're like, all right, guys, how are we going to regulate the pork producers? <laughs> no, I seriously, it, it goes, this is a counterintuitive take, but every time I see somebody on cable news talking about how they want their, their legislature in session, I'm like, the hell you do. Yeah, yeah you, that's the last no, thing you, you want. Don't. You don't, when you have them in session all the time, you get stuff like that, right? Somebody dreams up an idea to ban bacon. Ugh. God. Yeah, and I mean, think about all these restaurants who are already in California, right, during COVID and managed to survive. How would you like to be a rib joint in yeah, California? Yeah, right, right. Or like a breakfast spot. Right. And you, you finally get back on your feet and it's like, ah, you know what? We actually, no bacon. <laughs> Just cool. unbelievable. Um, the other thing that I saw... Uh, on Twitter this morning, which I thought was just classic. It was so perfectly ruthless. Uh, our man Dowd, Matthew Dowd, male pattern, he um, decided to take it upon himself to start trolling friend of the program, guest of the program, uh, Janice Dean of Fox News. And American Hero. Yeah, and American Hero. Um she obviously, as she's discussed on the program, is very invested in ensuring that Governor Cuomo is held accountable for the policies that he put in place at the beginning of COVID that put COVID patients in nursing homes that ultimately killed both of her in-laws. Yeah. You know, I, I really love uh, Matthew Dowd, human ghoul, spending his time watching coronavirus cases for the minute there's more cases in Texas so he can try to troll the woman who lost both of her in-laws. Yeah. You know, like, can you imagine? That's, that's how cool he is. It's incredible. Well, first of all, he's, he doesn't even have his statistics right. Right. They're, right. Right. Like on a, on a per capita basis, it's not even close. It's not even close. But, but second of all, so here's his, his tweet was now that Texas has surpassed New York in COVID deaths. I'm awaiting Miss Dean to hold the GOP governor Abbott accountable. I mean, what a monster. She literally lost her in-laws. And Cuomo put COVID-positive patients in nursing homes. <laughs> this isn't like, this isn't like, oh man, they had a bad go of it because it was New York. It was, it was a policy decision to put, you know, old people in a very dangerous situation. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was essentially just like endless Trojan horses. He found the most susceptible population... And that's where he sent people who were infected. It's insane. And also, we're not talking about attacking, you know, Greg Abbott. We're not talking about attacking no. DeSantis or any sort of other Republican public official. Attacking Janice Dean? Yeah. Who are you? Right. Yeah. What a loser. What a complete loser. And just a lunatic. And, and Holmes, Holmes brought up the point that, like, again, Dowd is completely full of shit. So he, he, when he says that, like, Texas has surpassed New York. Okay. Texas COVID deaths per 100,000. 183. New York COVID deaths per 100,000, 276. Yeah, not even 50% more people died in New York. Right. Uh, he's just a very worthy That's what champion. he does with his time. What an asshole. What an asshole. Um, all right. So we got to always put in an animal segment. That's like a new rule, <laughs> I think, on, on Ruthless, because every time we talk about either fighting an animal or some animal, like everybody loves the animal stuff. So here's the Clearly. animal. Here's an animal thing for you. Uh, a third of white-tailed deer in four states during a federal study have been exposed to the coronavirus. The percentage was highest in Michigan, where 60% of the animals tested positive for antibodies. This is, what? This, this is turning into a horror movie, dude. <laughs> Wait a second. They're all outside. I thought we were okay outside. 
<laughs> what happened? Did the did the like one deer go to a happy hour and he comes back and it's like a real problem for the whole pack? What I do, do I, I do like Smug's take here though. I mean, there is sort of that there's that one point in every post apocalyptic movie where nature yep. reclaims. You yeah, know, where yep. nature sort of Yep overtakes the cities of, of old. Yeah. You know, and, and the ivy pops up over the buildings and the deer are, you know, walking down the middle of the street. Is that yeah. a good sign? Well, but but hold, let's just back up from 50,000 feet here. Like, we have been told from the beginning of this virus, the real problem is human to human contact. Right, 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 right. Right? Right. Why aren't the deer masking up, number one? <laughs> <laughs> they don't have, they have shitty quarantine procedure. I know yeah. that. It's you unbelievable. Know, it's incredible if they're not running into a shotgun blast somewhere, they're out getting COVID. Well, I guess the, 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 the one thing it makes me think about is something I've you know talked about previously on the program, which is like more people were exposed to COVID than we probably realize just by the asymptomatic cases. Completely. Right? Right? And so, you know, I know we're joking here a lot on the podcast, but I feel like we're you know, in our public discourse, panicking more than we should. I, I I mean, I'm all for taking things very seriously when we when we get new information here. But if 60% of the animals tested positive for antibodies, exposure outside. Yeah, these are deer. It's like, not like you're saying with more a, people a have survived COVID than we realize is my point. No question. But you're also talking about an animal that doesn't have like direct interaction right. with people. Right. It's not a dog. Right. You're talking. It's not even a zoo animal. Right. We're talking about something that lives in the damn forest. Have you been to Michigan though? Yeah, there are a lot of them. Well, no. Uh, what I'm saying is some great hunters up there in Michigan. They need like a, they might need, they need be a coronavirus task force. Every deer you bag, you that's get what like I'm five saying. Bucks. What, well, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying we need to monetize this. If they give you a hundred bucks to get the vaccine, you should be able to get some cash for putting like these are just solving coronavirus problems. If you could have like antibody venison, do you think you could market that? I mean, oh, I wow. could sell it, dude. Like antibody jerky? Yeah. That sounds pretty good for our Midwestern <laughs> listeners. I feel like antibody jerky is something you gotta look into. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, but it leads to our larger point and the topic one here, which is the White House is now expressing great alarm, which I find just endlessly hilarious. It's so good. So good. They are expressing great alarm that the media could perhaps be a little hyperbolic here. Oh, they're just noticing that now. Yeah. yeah. And, and how outraged they were. They were like, how dare you? They're like, are you people really just like uh, 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 going off the deep end to get more clicks? It's and so ratings? funny. It's so funny. It's like all these people in the White House now were RTing and sharing stories oh, about, yeah. you know, Donald Trump links to the Kremlin for four years are now suddenly worried about our media being hyperbolic. Yeah, they're, they're concerned that perhaps they're overblowing this. But like, just remember, we're having a conversation today and a national conversation that is surrounding you about the Delta variant that is based in large part from, and this is a little un, under the hood action here, on a leaked document that was selectively leaked by the Centers for Disease Control to the New York Times. Like, this is the way that the that libs work. Right. If they can't just come out and have something said from the president's voice, yeah. they'll run to the New York Times, Washington Post, whatever. They're going to leak out what their fears are and then therefore be like, well, it was all public. 
right? right. It was all, we're not accountable. This was all public information. So this what what they leaked out was pretty freaking bad, right? It had no context at all. It said that Delta is more transmissible than smallpox. First of all, making that alignment is horrendous. I mean, I saw I saw some wild statistics out there from publications. There there was one that said that um, um, if 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 you were in a room with someone with the first kind of COVID that hit America, that strain, you'd have to be in a room with them, uh, both people unmasked for about fifteen minutes, and then you'd hit a very high rate of transmission. They were saying that Delta is a thousand times more transmissible, that you could be in a room with someone for a second and catch it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is all their information, right? Right, right. But but like, you know, they, they talk about the number of, you know, quote unquote, breakthrough cases of people who've had vaccines and, and still have gotten, uh, you know, COVID, this Delta variant. And they say them in, you know, raw numbers rather than, percentage of people vaccinated which we've been saying right. for a year and a half right it's like it's it, like wake up it would, right. it, would it fit their political need mm-hmm. when they when they wanted to ensure that the entire world was completely panicked about what they said was mismanagement of this pandemic yeah when they, they needed to attack trump yeah that's when they were like oh my god world on fire right except now they own it and if they, they walked into office on a day that a million people were vaccinated. Right. Right? And they said, we walked in and there was no plan. You remember that <laughs> yeah. shit? Oh, God. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. But, like, you fast forward seven months, all of a sudden you got another spike. And we covered this last episode, and I thought a great job by Smug outlining that these guys, not only do they have no plan, but they haven't been executed. They don't even understand. They're just trying to scapegoat. Right. Totally. They're just trying to scapegoat. Right. They're scapegoating Trump voters. They scapegoated Facebook. You know, I mean, anything to 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 distract from the reality that the Biden administration, the CDC has bungled this along the way. I mean, remember the J&J pause because six people had a higher likelihood of, of, of getting strokes. And they still don't have any viable. I mean, at what point do we tell Anthony Fauci to pack pack his bags? Right. I mean, there's still no good. Well, they can't now. They yeah. can't now. now they turned they, him into like a deity. Like libs literally have candles of that guy. Like he's a, yes. like a, like like a religious figure. I'm not even kidding. Yeah. Like they 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 tied themselves to it too much. Dude, they, like they call Trump. They, they call Trump a the cult. Campaign, they're like, I would let Fauci make the calls. Yes. Well, you're stuck with him now, dude. <laughs> they say they say Trump is a cult, and it, and they've got you know candles, prayer candles of Anthony Fauci. It's disgusting. I mean, and I mean, what's really beautiful is you saw like uh, uh Biden administration people uh, attacking journos. With these with these pictures of like uh, Washington Post has lost 33 percent of their clicks since Trump left office. New York Times has lost 25 percent of their clicks since Trump left office. CNN has lost 50 percent of their viewers since Trump left office. When the Biden people are attacking the media like that. Yeah, absolutely oh, beautiful. Let them fight. Let me let exactly let them fight. Let me let me read a quote because it's so delicious. I can't I can't I can't not do it. Two Biden officials spoke to CNN's Oliver Darcy. What a. Of course they did. Of course. About the issue to Biden officials. They had to do it at, with anonymity, of course, because they wouldn't want to ruin their cocktail uh, party invitation list. Oh, yeah. But they told the CNN media reporter that, quote, the media's coverage doesn't match the moment. Let me just pause on that. There's more to this, but I, perfect Sorkin. Yeah. yeah, ma- yeah. Match Someone's the been moment. watching too much West Wing. Match the moment. 
What fucking moment is that? Is that the moment when we all of a sudden we have a new pandemic inundated the, the country? Is that the moment that you're talking about? Because it's really no different. In fact, if you look at the statistics in terms of the rise of COVID cases, it looks an awful lot like the moment that they were all talking about back in April of 2020 when the world was ending, according to them. Yeah, back when they were saying they'll never take a vaccine that Donald Trump approves. Exactly. Back, back then. Back now, then. Now all these people are worried about a hyperbolic media culture. Well, so here's the I next mean, sentence. fuck you, dude. Exactly. Fuck you. Exactly. Here's the next sentence. It has been hyperbolic and frankly irresponsible in mm. a way that hardens vaccine hesitancy. I'm going to pause on that. We got one more sentence. But I, let's pause about vaccine hesitancy. Do you think perhaps when you're simultaneously telling people that the vax, if you get vaccinated, you're unlikely to experience any severe conditions and that you are protecting your family and then simultaneously forcing the vaccinated to go mask mandate and then open the door to more quarantines. Right. What do you think does more for hesitancy? Right. Is it hyperbole or is it your actual policy? Yes. The va- I mean, and look, the vaccine is effective. We are decoupling cases from deaths, okay? Right. It, 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 should, it should be a miracle. But when you tell people after they're vaccinated, you're going to have to wear a mask. When you pause one of the vaccines, I still cannot believe they paused the J&J vaccine. <laughs> um, and yeah, you talk about lockdowns. You're going to create more vaccine hesitancy because, I, I mean, I've talked to dozens of people, family, friends, and they took this vaccine to get back to normal. Yeah. Period. Period. Yeah, that was, that was kind of like the understanding. Right. That was the understanding. Like, that's the deal. You know? That's the deal. But here's the last sentence to sort of tie this, tie this thing up. The last sentence is, the biggest problem we have is unvaccinated people getting and spreading the virus. Okay. That, may, that might very well be true. But you leaked the damn data talking yeah, about the, the yep. breakthrough cases. Right. What's the what what message are you sending? If there's if if you're gonna have a breakthrough case as as the key takeaway, right? Yeah. If if that's the key takeaway and you are unvaccinated, what what's your motivation for getting the vaccine if they're already making you wear masks still and they're talking about lockdowns? <laughs> it's like the administration leaked the worst disinformation and now they want to complain about the media culture it's you created the, the disinformation and you created the media culture right bingo bingo and that, and that's the, the biggest thing to me is you reap what you sow yes right they surfed the wave of this idiocy for a year they blamed republicans they blamed blamed trump they blamed everybody under the sun for a runaway pandemic that truthfully science didn't understand and then they got three vaccines and they fucked it all up and they figured out how to fuck it all up and now they're on the hook yeah it can't be somebody's fault and then simultaneously not your fault it's just and crazy. i i think the, the the most telling part of this is this. so gallup had a survey that was out <clears throat> this is so important this is very key it, it uh this survey talks about you know it, it, it all comes down to trust it said americans optimism about covid dashed as cases surge uh, 40% down from 89% say the situation is getting better. Okay, most now expect disruption to persist through end of 2021 or later. Uh, 19% are practicing strict social distancing compared with 18% in June. That's an uptick. And it says in a dramatic shift from last month, 
More Americans now say the coronavirus situation in the U.S. is getting worse, 45% rather than better, 40%. In June, a record 89% said the situation was getting better, while only 3% said it was getting worse. So we've gone from 3% saying it's getting worse to 45% saying it's getting worse like that. <laughs> that's, that's terrible. It's terrible. It's terrible. And the reality is, as we've covered on the Variety program, we're going to have to get through this one way or another, but we're sure as hell not going to go back to the same sort of insanity that beset the country at the beginning of this pandemic in 2020. We're not going to do it. It's just not going to happen. Like we're going to conduct business in this country, you know, whether you mask, have to mask, don't have, I mean, whatever that takes us. But, but honestly, what they're trying to do is set the table for this entirely top down response because they don't know what they're doing. They actually don't know the science. Nobody knows the science. And so they don't want to be blamed for underreacting, right? And well, they can't I'm, get anyone they can't get anyone to listen to their policies when there's no trust. The people don't trust the, the, these Dems in power. They don't trust Bowser because she flaunts her own rules. You know, liar. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> nice. uh, o- o- Obama's still going to have his birthday bash. Right. You know, like they're 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 demanding all these sacrifices and everything from the public that they themselves are not willing to be subjected to. That hypocrisy is not how you build trust. And and what you brought up last week, I thought was really key, and that they try to saddle conservatives as the only problem on vaccine yeah. hesitancy, yep. right? And what you found out, which is true, is it's much deeper than that. A lot of it's cultural. A lot of it's economic. Right. And it is it's not about ideology, ultimately. And you're seeing this, you know, you're seeing it play out in the NFL right now with all of these these teams that are coming back for mini camps. A lot of people are testing positive. They're not monolithic. They're not white or black. They're not like, you know, all these people presumably are doing pretty well because they're professional athletes. But but the point is, is that their cultural backgrounds are very diverse very diverse. This is not a conservative problem. This is a problem, period. Yeah. And, and scapegoating yep. people to try to get themselves out from underneath the mismanagement and lack of clarity is absolutely horrendous. I mean, they got into power with divide and conquer. So, of course, they don't know. Like, you can't govern that way. And now they're seeing the results of it. Yeah. No, it's true. It's true. The couple of stats uh, that I thought were, were sort of interesting on this front. They have 125,000 people that were fully vaccinated that tested positive. The point, the important point, it's less than, it's what, 0.0007% quote unquote breakthrough rate, which, you know, breakthrough, that's interesting verbiage on that. But, but the breakthrough rate is still very low, right? It's extremely low. And it's the only science we're not talking about. Right. Which is like, I mean, they're causing panic. They're causing panic. They're causing panic. And if you're one of those people who had their business shut down for a year, if you're one of those people who couldn't go to work for a year, if you're one of those people who your kids couldn't go to school for a year, and you're talking about people who are vaccinated, who thought that this was their golden ticket to get back to normal, still have to wear a mask. Yeah. That we might have to consider lockdowns. Biden said that. Yep. I mean, it goes back to what you were saying earlier. It's about trust. And we talked about this previously in the program. At some point, you lose all credibility. You do. And that's that's the concerning thing here. So I just hope people have this takeaway. 
the vaccines are decoupling uh, cases from deaths. That breakthrough rate is very, very small. Yeah. Like we can get through this. Yeah, I, it's all pretty simple, and you should. Everybody's got access to the research at this point, right? You know, if it's good for you and your family, it was good for mine. Um, I feel a lot more confident knowing that I've got it, considering these numbers. But I mean, to be honest with you, what really irritates me most is the idea that they can surf the wave of hyperbolic insanity about the spread of this virus and then own it for seven months and try to scapegoat a group of people that ultimately aren't the reason it's spreading. Right. Right. That's what drives me crazy. All right. So, but while we're all paying attention to that, um, you guys may have noticed nobody's talking about the Biden foreign policy and the reason, it's a mess. Yeah. <laughs> the reason for that is because it's a complete disaster. Disaster. Afghanistan's going to hell in a handbasket already, right? We have 20 years invested in a security situation there, and the Afghan president is, is mincing no words, talking about the United States leaving them high and dry, and being responsible for a deteriorating security. I mean, obviously, right? We've, we've known this for a while. That's a tougher decision, right? But, but we knew that was going to happen. The, um, the other piece is that, like the, the Taliban. I mean, they're just like on the move over there, right? It's only a matter of time before they have to do a, yet another sort of strategic shift to figure out how to prevent against, you know, I think, potential terrorism cells rising again, right? I mean, it's just, it's, it's happening. And then you look at Iran, who, if you all recall, you know, signed the big nuclear agreement with the Obama administration, and then all the same people who signed that deal that thankfully Trump got, a, got rid of are all now back in office, and there's a lot of talk about, oh, we're going to make great progress again with Iran. Apparently, you know, Part of their plan was was delivering pallets of cash last time. They haven't had the uh, the balls to handle that yet, but they're but they're still trying to make roads with them. Well, did you hear that Iran killed two British sailors in a suicide drone attack? I think it was like last weekend or the weekend before on an oil tanker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Incredible. I mean, what? That seems like that's a major in- international incident. Right. We've talked about this before. Every time we we read something about Iran, I I always come back and read it again because it's never talked about. If this would have happened on Trump's watch, I mean, that's big news. Yeah, well, the UK pulled their ambassador from Iran, and Boris Johnson was like, Iran must face consequences for this outrageous attack. And Biden, of course, is like, guys, I mean, Biden has zero input. Guy's probably taking a nap right now, let's be honest. (laughs) But his people are like, hey, guys, everybody just keep this on the down low. <laughs> you know, we, we, we give them another Iran deal. Maybe we can all get Nobel Prizes again and then get jobs at Amazon after this. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I have um, no doubt that the Biden administration will let her on off the hook. Um, as you may recall, the Obama administration let Iran and Hezbollah off the hook when they were running a multimillion dollar narcotics enterprise across the world flooding America with with drugs uh, because they were trying to get that nuclear deal done right 
there's, there was a huge, and I, I highly recommend you read it. It's a Politico did this huge investigative report about how the Obama administration, um, you know, stopped their own intelligence services from pursuing this case of Hezbollah tra- I mean, being a drug trafficking and, you know, empire because they were trying to get this nuclear deal done with Iran. They will turn a bl- blind eye to anything uh, to work with 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 these lunatics in Tehran. It's I don't I don't such, know why. I don't know why, but they will. I really don't know why. It's just such weakness. It's just such incredible weakness to project across the world. I think. And I, think I mean, there's some. Uh, I think. I think part of it is that they believe sincerely that they can use Iran and and and, and Shia power in the Middle East as a counterbalance to Saudi Arabia and and Sunni interests in a way that benefits American. Um, foreign policy i i just don't see it you know i mean there's the proxy world wars all across the middle east if you look at you know places like yemen and you've got these shia-backed militias which you're now you're not allowed to call them uh iran-backed militias i know that they, they you know the the biden state department won't say that um but you know these are bad folks Clearly, one of the one of the things that I really loved about Trump's foreign policy is I think he modeled it a lot like Richard Nixon, the famous madman theory, where the entire world knew, listen, this guy really could just like do anything. <laughs> like if we mess around, like you never know the guy like like Nixon's famous threat, like uh, he ended the war in Vietnam. One of the things he pulled was he, he, he put out word that he had the nukes up in the air on these B-2 bombers. Uh, circling around Vietnam, and 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 uh, Kissinger had to tell him he was like, "Listen, guys, you got to you got to get to the you got to get to the table. We got to cut a deal." Nixon's Nixon's gone mad again. He's got the nukes in the air, and they're like, "Oh my God, Nixon's got the nukes in the air." <laughs> Madman theory worked. I just so, I, like you I had love the entire that. I love the, the entire idea Middle East. Like, yeah, Jared can go around and make world peace because they're like, "What's the option? Trump will Trump will do it. Yeah. Trump will roll. It's a, it's it's a little like good cop bad cop routine. Yeah, totally. you know." Totally. And the best part about like the way that these people conduct their foreign policy is that they they not only take, you know, the information from the front door from the president, and the administration, but then they also go around back and try to talk to like former leaders and all these other people who are like, you know, is he that crazy? Is he going to do it? And like in Trump's case, everybody's like, um, yeah, yeah, he could do it. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, he'll if he threatens you, he'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. There is that there is a hidden genius in a lot of that. Last topic I want to cover that is, um, well, frankly, just sad as hell. Um, I don't know if you all saw the video of the border um, over the weekend. It's horrific. Yeah, the largest group of migrants that we have ever seen uh, crossing a bridge in Mission, Texas. Um, It's like over a thousand people. It's it's across the Rio Grande, right? The point is, is that according to, to DHS. There's 585% capacity in the McAllen, Texas area. And they're, they're starting mass releases. We talked about this a little bit last week. But what that means is that they're doing what we, we discussed, letting people go on the, 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 basically the honor system. Right. To say, you got to check in with your ICE office. These are people who crossed illegally. Yeah. yeah they, um, so, so the Fox uh, LA affiliate... Uh, had some video up I was seeing today where basically at the border crossing, they'll have like hundreds and thousands of migrants. Then they put them on buses. They take them immediately to a place 
to to get everyone clothes and food, and then they bus them immediately to a place to give them plane tickets across the country or bus tickets to locations. And they're like, "All right, but remember, guys, you're going to show up, right? So we can decide whether you can stay or not." Oh it's God! Like, yep, honor system. I mean, that's literally what they've got going on, and they're still not talking about it. You know, I mean, this administration is asleep at the wheel at the border. Um, you know, and and we have Democrat unified control of Washington. Yeah. And so obviously the media doesn't want to talk about it because they can't blame us. Right. <laughs> you they know? can't blame us. Right. It's like the same thing. Um, you know, there was this big back and forth uh, here recently about these uh, eviction. Oh, I'm so glad you brought this yeah, up. For, I was going for, to. For all the, the renters. Um, and. You know, the Biden administration was like, Congress needs to act. You yeah, know, to so, so by this. way of background, what Duncan's talking about is that during one of the COVID relief packages, Congress passed an eviction moratorium that basically meant that you're, if you're a landlord, you can't evict right. your, your tenant. Tenants who are way behind on, on rent. Right, right. Which, you know, at the beginning of this pandemic, it, it kind of made some sense. Since we started set spending, you know, 2000 person or $2,000 a person plus unemployment plus unemployment plus up makes less sense. But be that as it may, the, the, the eviction thing expired Friday. Right. Right. And now, so you've got the Biden administration saying Congress must act. Congress is like, you know, uh, Pelosi's like, well, we just don't have enough time. Didn't get the heads up. Right. You know? And so like, then you've got Pelosi throwing it back at the Biden administration being like, you know, actually, the CDC should just take action here. Like nobody <laughs> can do their job. The Center for Disease Control should be in charge of, tell, of telling yeah landlords they can't evict tenants. <laughs> like, that's how little they do their jobs. Like, unified Democrat leadership. Welcome to it, guys. And then I saw NBC Nightly News on Sunday night. Uh, I was on only because the Olympics. I was watching the Olympics and left the TV on, and I walked past it, and it said... Democrat, the Chiron was Democrats fighting to extend eviction ban. Not fighting very hard. I mean, not, not hard enough not to leave town. <laughs> Democrats. Yeah, I mean, fighting. they're gone. They're le- they left town. So, uh, guess it was just a miscommunication. Yeah. On to the next thing. On to the next thing. All right. So, the next thing for us is going to be an interview. You've noticed over the last few weeks, we have started, and this is heating up. This is heating up. But we've started doing some candidate interviews that we're trying to dive in a little bit and get to know some of the people who may be their nominee from the state may not, but they're involved in really important Senate elections and they're, they're competitive in their primaries. And we just think it's important to get to know them because there's literally no media outlet that will cover any of these people to actually ask them fair questions about what they stand for and who they are. Everybody just talks to them about like, you know, what their view of Trump is what their view of of January 6th is, like a whole bunch of shit that's entirely irrelevant to why they're running for office and and hopefully representing the people that they're trying to earn votes from. So we did a bunch in Pennsylvania. We've got one now in Ohio. We talked to J.D. Vance a few months back, who's a candidate there. This guy's an interesting guy, Bernie Marino. Uh, Bernie's a car dealer from Ohio. He's, he's also an immigrant to this country, and so he's got a really interesting take. I enjoyed doing this interview. I think you'll enjoy listening to it. 
I want to welcome to the program a very interesting guy who has now gotten himself into the middle of an absolutely essential Senate race. He's a Senate candidate in the great state of Ohio. Bernie Moreno, welcome to the pro program. Hey, thanks for having me. Look forward to it. Yeah, now listen, this is, um, I don't know why you want to get into politics, man, but you're in the middle of the biggest dogfight primary race I've seen in, in a lot of years. Well, it's not important. Uh, the reality is, as you've talked about on this podcast, really since the beginning, this country's heading in a really bad direction. I mean, I was born in South America. I know what all this ideology is like. I've been, I've seen this movie before. It doesn't end well, by the way. I'll ruin the movie for everybody who's not sure. And uh, I, at the same time, I see the same kind of politicians. Uh, they don't have a lot of depth. They really don't study the issues. They really care about getting elected, throwing out cliche lines. They lean on their staffs 99% of the time to really uh, help them know how to think. And this was too important. So that's why I put, my, uh, that's why I put the, the uh, jersey on and jumped into the arena. Well, let's get to know you a little bit. You, you have, are a successful guy, right? Which is why I led with why in the world you want to get into politics. I'm sure you've got a very nice life and family and everything else. But tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us a little about, about your, your upbringing and how you started your, your business in Ohio and everything else. Yeah, so I was, like I said, I was born in uh, South America, moved to the U.S. when I was uh, just before my fifth birthday, learned English, came here legally. So I had to become a U.S. citizen uh, the first chance I could when I was 18. Uh, went to the University of Michigan uh, because I wanted to be in the car business. Always loved cars. Started as an intern at GM. Realized the corporate world wasn't my cup of tea. <laughs> it was, we, we'd have meetings about meetings. And I was yeah. like, I can't, I can't take this. But, uh, when I was 25, I met a car dealer from Boston who said, hey, why don't you run one of my dealerships? And uh, of course, the problem was I had never worked in a car dealership in my life in any position. So I did that uh, for 12 years, became his vice president, helped him grow his company from six dealerships to 55. And then 16 years ago, Mercedes came to me and said, hey, we have the worst Mercedes dealership in the United States of America. We'd like you to buy it. And of course, the reality is it was the only dealership I could afford to buy. I sunk every cent I had into it, grew it from one dealership to 30 brands in 15 locations. We did a billion in sales, had over a thousand team members uh, that worked with me. Uh, sold that company two and a half years ago because I wanted to be in the technology business. So started a tech company in Cleveland, even though everybody on earth who had any kind of background in tech told me, uh, you don't do this in Cleveland. Uh, now five public companies have invested in that company. And I should be uh, sailing off into the sunset, as they say, but uh, this country's given me every opportunity on earth. And this is my opportunity to give back to that country. Well, so that's an interesting, I mean, that's an interesting on point to politics in general, because you've seen how jobs are created. You've run multiple businesses. Clearly, you have an opinion on what's happening currently with the Biden administration and their economic agenda. What do you make of what's happening right now? I think it's a failure of our university systems. I think if uh, people in the uh, Biden administration had just taken one economics class, just one. <laughs> <laughs> like, even if, it's, even if it's just called math. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's like a basic introductory one. I guess when you uh, study gender studies, you don't really have to take any of those classes. <laughs> right? But what could go wrong when you uh, print 40% more dollars over the last 12 months? You know, I joke all the time, if I had asked that question, in my business school classes 30 years ago, the professor would have given me an F for asking a stupid <laughs> question. Right? Nobody would do that. 
uh, yet we have. And then what's even crazier is that we have Republicans that are passing even more spending when we really should be doing is saying, listen, we got this COVID relief money, trillions of dollars. Uh, it has all these restrictions. Take the restrictions off. Tell the cities, counties, and states, spend it on infrastructure the way infrastructure is defined in the Webster's Dictionary, not among the Democratic Party. Right. Yeah. And, and so, so your view on that in terms of the, I think what you're talking about is the infrastructure debate, repurposing the money that has already been spent in these various COVID relief acts rather than engaging in new spending in this you know, so-called bipartisan deal. Yeah, I mean, listen, the, the economy does not need more stimulus. We cannot afford to pump more money in. Uh, you know, there's, again, it goes back to this economics conversation. They don't understand you have to stimulate the supply side. Uh, you don't just stimulate demand because you have this incredible thing called inflation, which I remember growing up with uh, Jimmy Carter and at the beginning of the Reagan presidency. And that's where we're, I actually think we're there now. It's just that the statistics haven't caught up to us. They haven't told us. Uh, they haven't tested our blood alcohol level, but I know it's two o'clock in the morning and we're dead drunk. <laughs> Somebody take him home. <laughs> exactly. I need to put him away for the night. I, uh, well, you know, it's funny. I think they're working on the supply chain too. And when you talk about all these mask mandates and now, you know, you, you're hearing Randy Weingarten and others talk about what that might mean for school openings. You're talking about some places, you know, beginning to discuss quarantines. I know you were pretty early on all of this. Uh, even last year before you were a candidate, you had some pretty strong opinions. Yeah, I mean, the reality is this. We've, we've lived with infectious diseases our whole life. We manage risk every single day. Uh, we go out in the sun too much, right? And we don't do the right thing. So we manage risk every day. I'm in New York City visiting my granddaughter. Believe me, I just took a walk. I managed risk of that walk. <laughs> there's there's uh, all kinds of bad things that can happen. Uh, and again, we have to use common sense rules. And it really goes to a fundamental question. Am I better off knowing what's good and right for me and my family? Or is there some little autocrat somewhere in a capital that's better off at telling me how to live my life? That's the fundamental question. And by the way, in China and Venezuela and Russia, they answer the question the other way. Listen, you're too stupid to manage your own life. We got to tell you how to do it. And it never works. And that's what makes America different and unique. And that's what's at stake really in this election. Which direction can, as a country are we going in? Do we want to manage our own lives? Do we want other people to do it for us? Yeah, I think that is a fundamental question. We've talked a lot about that on the program, about how sort of the progressive mindset is that what happened during COVID is basically an ideal governing structure. Right. It tells you when you can go out, when your kids can go to school, what jobs are essential, and then they'll send you a, a little something as an allowance in the end. <laughs> right. Exactly. And I, I imagine from your perspective, you know, there's got to be a lessons learned in addition to having some opinions on it. Like, what do you think at this stage as we're battling Delta variant comfort plus, we call it here on the program? Um, what do you think we ought to do going into this fall? I, I think we manage. Uh, this virus and all the variants exactly the same way as we've done that with influenza for our entire lives. There's a vaccine that's available. I took it the first opportunity I, I had. Uh, it's highly effective. And of course, there's going to be variants. That's why we need a flu shot every single year. Uh, but we don't uh, have to do anything differently than that in terms of government policy. Let people live their lives. They know what to do. Uh, you know, it's one of those things where 
you know, we talked about the sunscreen conversations before we got on. If we all go to the beach together, sunscreen's effective even if you're not wearing it on, right? Is it still effective on me? <laughs> <laughs> and just for those, for those of you who are listening, this is not a video format. If it were, you would see why sunscreen is <laughs> very important to Bernie today. He's got, I think, looks like he's been in a street fight. It does. It does. And like I said to you, uh, the, sunsc- the, uh, uh, the sunscreen conversation is one, but Josh Mandel looks much worse at the end of this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe it's got, we're in the off year, Bernie. We got, we have plenty of time for this. We got plenty of time for this. They told me it's going to be dirty. I don't know what happened, <laughs> but uh, no, the reality is again, this, all this COVID stuff is, is it's again, it's as if the media and policymakers have invented uh, respiratory illnesses. We've had them forever. Let me just make a prediction. If the Democrats, cave to the teachers unions and schools do not open in person this fall, you will see a move to the right, to the Republican party like you've never seen. Because we've become the party of freedom and liberty and schools opening and Democrats have become the party of lockdowns and restrictions and mass mandates and schools that are closed. Closing schools is the most inhumane public policy we've ever inflicted on children in our lifetime. Uh, This virus, unlike the flu, predominantly does not affect young people. And for us to do that, take them out of school, to a lot of these kids, this is their only meal, it's their only escape from a tough household. Uh, They can't learn, they don't have high-speed internet internet access. It is just horrible, horrible public policy. And I think we're taking the mask off the teachers' units. Uh, They obviously don't care at all about kids, their learning or their education. And I think it's good because school choice was always something that I believed in. And maybe this is the opportunity for all of America to see why these teachers unions have to be taken apart. No, it's such a good point. We've talked about that a lot, a lot on the program as well. This is the first time a lot of Americans have gotten educated on school choice, basically. Yep. And a lot of parents have been able to hear for the first time the garbage that's thrown at these kids as early as second and third grade. You know, my, my wife volunteered at a school that's second and third grade kids. And the kids were made to watch the entire George Floyd video where he was murdered for second graders. That's nuts. How would you show a second grader that? That's insane. That's literally child abuse. And telling a second and third grader there's something wrong with them if they're like one of my kids because you're Hispanic, you're a victim. Or if your kids, you're white, so you're an oppressor. That's not something we should be talking to second. We shouldn't even be doing that other way in a PhD class at a, right. yeah, at a Harvard Law School, but let alone a second grade at a public school is insane. So the parents have heard of this for the first time and are starting to get involved in school board races and local races, which is really good for us on the conservative side. No, I totally agree with you. And, and that actually is a good transition into your campaign. You're not a politician. Uh, you didn't come from sort of the political establishment, obviously. There are some who did that you're running against or others are trying to fashion themselves as a, an outsider. Like what's your, I hate to reduce it to like, what's your lane, Bernie, but like what, what's the case that you're making other than the obvious case that you've just made, which I think is pretty compelling. How do you get to 51 or whatever you need to win this primary? Well, the good news is uh, Ohio is a, just a simple majority. So I, don't, I will get over 50%. That's certainly my goal. But uh, I just have to get one more than uh, the, the second place person, right? right. It's, like, it's like running after, like a bear runs after you after the woods. You don't have to beat the bear. You just have to beat the guy. Yeah, yeah. So I think the, the answer to that question is, is, is interesting because in politics, it's the only field I've ever seen where there's three unique things. 
you're encouraged to lose, right? Well, you gotta get your name ID. So lose two or three or four or five times. It's crazy in, in business, right? You can imagine, hey, you gotta bankrupt four or five companies before you come work for us because we want you to learn, right? Secondly, there's, it's all cliches. There's no substance that's ever discussed. You know, I'll be te big tech's worst nightmare as if Mark Zuckerberg's gonna wake up in the middle of the night thinking about one of the candidates in this race. That's just silly, right? And the third thing is they don't ask, what have you done in the past, right? What's your track record of success? It's always, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do A, B, C, and D, but never, well, what have you done in the past? So hopefully what I wanna do in this race, and I hope another, I inspire that in other races, is to ask those three critical questions. Have you been a proverbial loser? <laughs> you understand policy? And have you actually done shit in your life? Right? If, we can, if I can just change politics to ask those three questions, I think I'll have mission accomplished for me. I feel like you may have inspired a new question on Ruthless. We may start with everything. Excuse me, are you a loser? Because if you can't clear that bar, we don't need to go on. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I love it. No, it, look, it makes some sense. And you, you've, you've started off hot. Um, for a guy who's not been in political circles, you raise an awful lot of money, two and a quarter, your first quarter in. Um, is that just, you know, you're calling everybody you can get on the phone or what? How's that working? Well, you know, in, in business, you know, you got to know how to hustle. You got to know how to work hard. Uh, you know, when I talked to some of my consultants early on, they're like, well, you know, you do fundraising between like, 10 and 3, Monday through Wednesday, like 10 and 3, Monday through Wednesday. <laughs> this is like 24-7, right? And you got to know how to close people. You got to know how to make the case, right? Why should you support me? And uh, we did. Uh, we raised twice as much as uh, our, uh, one of our opponents who's state party chair. There's people who say that she's got the donor list for all of Ohio. I don't know if that's true or not, but certainly she had an advantage there. And then 50% uh, more than uh, a person who's run three times that has a deep Rolodex. And, and more importantly to me, we outraised Tim Ryan, who is the sole Democratic anointed uh, opponent, and that really made a difference. And we're keeping at it. I mean, we, we worked this hard. Yeah, what's your, what's your take on Ryan? It seems to me, like from a D.C. perspective, this is a guy who wants it every which way, right? He tries to fashion himself a moderate, but there's actually no evidence from a voting perspective that he has anything moderate other than, I guess, opposing Nancy Pelosi. But if you can't do that, that seems like a bare minimum <laughs> <laughs> Which, but he ultimately supported her. So, I mean, you know, what do you think of this guy? Well, so, so as you know, I was in a retail automotive business. And 40, 30, 40 years ago, the car business was known for bait and switch tactics. <laughs> the car business today is completely different. Man, politics has got nothing on the car business of 40 years ago. The bait and switch that happens every day is incredible. Here's a guy who's more liberal than Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. But when you read his tweets or you listen to him talk, oh, I'm just a nice guy, regular working class guy. It's crazy. It's as if he hasn't been in Congress his whole life. It's as, as if he hasn't really done, as he's actually done anything his entire career and actually hasn't done it. So for example, he talks about shipping jobs to China. I agree, we need to do that. But you were there when that happened. You were the congressman. He couldn't even save Lordstown Motors, which is in his district but he just runs away from that, pretends there's nothing there to see. It's it crazy, this guy can't keep a job either, right? He wants to be speaker, he wants to be president, now he wants to be a senator. And the reality is because he didn't even win his own county in the last congressional race, which is pretty pathetic. Ouch, ouch, those who know him best, right? Yeah. And that's the problem, they've gotten to know him. They, they think he's, a, you know, he likes to uh, take the same cliche line 
repeat it and yell it. That's all he wants to do. But let me tell you, the Democrats and the media, they're going to put their thumb on the scale in this race. There's no, we've already seen it. Uh, they treat him with kick gloves. I mean, me, a typical reporter who asks a question says, you know, do you believe in the violent insurrection that President Trump tried to overtake the U.S. government by force and subjugate our democracy? Do you agree with that? That's a question. Yeah. Right? And Ryan is like, how did you make it out here so with such heat? <laughs> For this press conference, how do you sacrifice so much for your country? <laughs> how much do you love your country, exactly. Mr. Ryan? Exactly. How do you love your country and your family so much? And why do birds sing when they see you? <laughs> <laughs> You're getting, this, is, this is the part, and I, I imagine you deal with this a little bit in the car business, but it's the one thing that an awful lot of business folks, when they get into politics, takes them by, a little bit by surprise is just how partisan the media actually is like this is not you, you know you grow up knowing that there's sort of a, a leftist tilt to all of that stuff but then if you get in the ring it's like no no man they, they, they just transcribe the democratic talking points that's the way this thing works yeah it's unbelievable i, I say it's like watching you know I, I lived in boston for 12 years it's like watching a yankees red sox game except that it's being played in new york i'm oh, sorry uh, for the new yorkers listening to this Except, you know, I wasn't a Red Sox fan. And you're sitting there, and they're calling strike before the pitcher's even thrown the ball. <laughs> so as a fan, you're going, well, this doesn't seem fun, right? And the Yankees win by 752 to 1, right? It's like, well, that wasn't a fun game to watch. That's almost what's happened in media. But it's actually a very serious problem because what's happened is because there is no standard place where you can get unbiased, unfiltered news, people go down all kinds of rabbit holes to find alternative sources of information. So you really can't have a, a rational conversation with somebody because what, they're set, what they think are facts are so different than the set of actual information, you can't have a conversation. I was talking to somebody this weekend here uh, in, uh, in the Northeast who was telling me that uh, the reason Florida has much lower case numbers than New York is because New Yorkers who go to Florida that died of COVID in Florida were counted as New York deaths. <laughs> I mean, that is some ping pong. But, but again, how do you even counter that, right? I mean, you, do we Welcome. go down and look at birth, certif birth death certificates together? I mean, it's just, it's nonsense, right? But that's the talking point, right? That's, it's Cuomo did a great job. DeSantis did a bad job. That was the media narrative. So let's find any string that tells us that that's the case. I mean, and, uh, the media is just, the media has become too dishonest. And I think we need a fair, I say this all the time, we need a fair, independent and curious media. That's right. Curious media really wants to find out what really happened and, and do it in a very, very, very fair and independent way. We need that. Very, very well said. Very well said. I want to get to three big questions about you um, that everybody pays attention to, particularly for our candidates who they didn't know anymore, because there's, there's no like technical correct answer here, but you can definitely have a wrong answer, right? <laughs> so the first, the first question is your last meal on earth. What would it well, be? First of, first of all, let's be honest. If it's my last meal, yeah. there is only one thing happening. Uh, the largest hot fudge sundae from Grater's ice cream that makes me want to die. That's what I would eat. <laughs> A quart of ice cream and like pound it with hot fudge. The kind of thing that you want to eat just once. That, yeah. If it's the last meal, why not? Yeah, 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 that's exactly right. You don't have to calorie count at this point. It's the last meal. It's got to be Grater's. None of this liberal bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> no Tom and Jerry's, pal. Not not this time. No, no. real stuff. <laughs> so, is that? Are you just going dessert for the whole thing? There's no. That's yeah. it. My last meal. Yeah. Why not? Why not? 
Yeah, absolutely. Protein, who cares? Okay. All right. Right. So I'm going to expand. The second question usually is if you didn't, you know, if you never got into politics, what would you be doing with your life? I presume you'd be successful businessman as you have been. Let's say your career path just took a different line of work and you, you hadn't had the success that you had as a car dealer in the tech business. What would you be doing with your life? You know, honestly, I, I would be helping other young entrepreneurs start businesses. You know, one of the things that I've done a lot in my career is mentor young people, help them uh, uh, learn how to overcome obstacles, learn how to build a business, learn how to stick to it, uh, learn how to never, ever think they're victims. Uh, so I would do that. that. That's something that if I weren't doing politics and wanted to serve my country as a United States Senator from Ohio, I would really spend the rest of my life really doing that, helping young entrepreneurs run their businesses. Yeah, it makes sense. It's tougher than ever to start a business. People need plenty of mentoring, certainly to just figure out how to get something off the ground this day and age. Um, all right, third and final question. Bernie Moreno, what motivates you more, the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat? I've never experienced the agony of defeat. Uh, you'd have to ask my opponents what that feels like. Oh. But for me, it's always, always been the thrill of victory. And whether that's getting somebody to donate to your campaign, BernieMarino.com, by the way, you can do that. Whether it's, uh, it's selling a car, whether it's building a new business, starting a new uh, construction project, it's always, for me, been uh, the, uh, the thrill of victory for sure. The, the sunny optimist, Bernie Moreno. Listen, you've been doing great. You keep up the good work. It's going to be a, a, an incredibly important race. I, I don't I need to tell you, we don't get to where we need to go in terms of control of the United States Senate without the great state of Ohio. So you all keep up the good work. Hey, thanks so much. And uh, if anybody listening wants to help out, BernieMarino.com, click that invest button. It's very, very appreciated. Uh, We've got to grow this from the grassroots. No corporate PAC money. Uh, our, our corporations have gone off the deep end also, and I haven't put in my own money. I'm not going to telegraph how much of that I'll do, uh, but it's going to be substantial. But I want to build a grassroots effort first. That's great. All right, Bernie, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Josh. All right, so you can see why that guy's got some draw. I mean, look, it's, a, it's going to be an ugly primary. There's a lot of really good candidates in Ohio, and I don't know who's going to emerge from it, but this is somebody who is not on anyone's radar like two or three months ago. And all of a sudden, he's kind of creeping up the list. Well, I can see why. I mean, you know, he's relaxed. He's a, It's a good interview. Um, compelling story. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad we were able to have him. And I'm just, I'm just glad that we can offer this platform for candidates to be themselves unfiltered and say what they want to talk about. Because like you said, I mean, if they're lucky and they get some big media hit what do they get right 30 seconds 90 seconds to to say what they stand for right you know uh so great stuff yeah yeah it's good well smugglesworth i think we got to the end of this sucker right that's another great episode gentlemen (laughs) and uh another reminder folks we are now two weeks out from iowa yes if you haven't yet you got to start making your plans to get out there because it's going to be something else it is. It is. We, we, we've, we'll have more and more uh, online social media traffic about all of the events as we go so everybody can kind of plan accordingly. And it, it's just, you got to do it. And hopefully we'll see you all there. So another banger of an episode, gentlemen. Excellent work all around. So until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Thursday. 
stay ruthless.